For more than four decades, the Sydney Festival has been a central part of summer in the Harbour City. Wesley Enoch was appointed Artistic Director of the Festival in 2017, and he has put his DNA into the program and delighted audiences with a bold lineup of critical art and cultural performances with a strong Indigenous focus. This year, as he pulls together his fifth and final festival program, Wesley has had to navigate the impact of COVID on the performing arts sector. To tell us all about it, Wesley joins me now. Wesley, welcome back to Speaking Out. Thanks for having me, Larissa. We might just start, obviously, you sit so centrally in the performing arts sector. What did you see as COVID emerged and what's its impact been on the sector? Look, in a positive way, I think that the digital upgrades, I guess we all did, was wonderful because as we saw different barriers for participation slide away. I'm seeing different, you know, aunties kind of getting on FaceTime, connecting with people. Also, I know that Bangara, in terms of digital platforms, was being seen by so many more people. So there were some positive things that came out of it, but some negative things too, I guess, about, you know, art sales, how were we connecting with each other? And we were just finding new ways. I mean, every time that there's been a problem, it's not like that problem wasn't there before COVID. It just was exacerbated and it shone a really strong light on the things that need to change in terms of the digital divide, the health divide in our communities. And the idea that the arts and culture, are they're central to our sense of values and our sense of expression of culture. And how do we maintain those when we're being told to stay home? So there were some big, big issues that we were facing. So how are you navigating all of these issues that COVID has thrown at us while you're pulling together the Sydney Festival? What what changes have you had to make? Well, one of the first decisions we made was to go all Australian back in March. And actually, that wasn't that antithetical to what we were doing anyway. There were still lots of Australian commissions and our focus on First Nations was all there. So to go all Australian meant that we were then investing not just our time and energy, but also the money that we have into artists, companies and venues so that we've got over $6 million going into the hands and pockets of Australian artists in a way that we haven't done that in the past. And also the idea of navigating people's psychology, the people who were so scared that they won't even leave their house and those who were so gung-ho that they were going to break every rule to do things. And those extremes have been very interesting. So for us, looking at outdoor performance, I mean, it sounds very First Nations in terms of our own cultural practice, but let's do more things outdoors. Let's do more things in groups that are not about large spectators, but about cohorts of people coming together and celebrating and being engaged in, in smaller groups. So that's been really important, that we're seeing a cultural lens over all this kind of COVID period so that we're seeing it as a way of going, well, why can't we do this outdoors? Why does it have to be inside a concert hall? Why can't we, as we're doing, building a big outdoor performance at the headland at Barangaroo and do a whole range of performances there like Bangara or um, Sydney Symphony Orchestra or different concerts along the way? So for you, what are some of the highlights on the program? That must be an awful question because I'm sure you love all of it, but I'm, I'm asking you to pick a few highlights. <laughs> love all my children equally. That's right. um, well, I guess I was saying there that the headland is one of those big things that it's COVID safe, it's outdoors, and it's also like a 25 bucks a ticket. It's not covering its costs. It's really about saying here's a gift to the city. So the two big things there that I really want to point out is spirit, a retrospective from Bangara which is a great kind of 30-year 
taster, if you like, of some amazing works there. And also the vigil, which we've been doing now. This will be our third year in a row on the 25th of January, asking the people of Sydney to come and sit vigil before the 26th and think a little bit about the impact on Indigenous Australians, on First Nations Australians, of the arrival of the First Fleet. Another big thing was Sunshine Supergirl, which people should really come along to see, which is the celebration of the life of Yvonne Gulagong. So we're transforming Sydney Town Hall into a tennis court. And Andrea James, who's an incredible artist, a writer, director, has brought together an all-Indigenous cast to celebrate her life, the life of Yvonne Gulagong, through tennis, on a tennis court in the middle of Sydney Town Hall. So that's a really fun experience to kind of bring out. And because we're on your show too, I really want to talk about Hide the Dog. Nathan Maynard, who's a pretty extraordinary Palawa artist, has written this family-friendly work uh, with Jamie McCaskill, who's a Maori writer, about an Aboriginal young person and a Maori young person coming together, building a canoe and going on a journey to visit the spirits and the gods of both their cultures to talk about extinction. Hide the Dog refers to the Tasmanian tiger, the thylacine, that's now extinct and how young people need to look after our animals and our, and our places a bit more. I mean, there's a couple of big highlights, but there's lots of things like from Circus, Circa doing Humans 2.0, a fantastic international company that are going to be doing the rounds. There's wonderful intimate works as well. There's a piece called Poem for a Dried Up River, where it's an improvisational opera piece about climate change. So, I mean, there's always something there for everyone. And for me, the joy of Sydney Festival is that it is multiple voices all over the city, from free to low price ticketing to, you know, high art. And that's really a celebration of who we are. And one little thing I'd like to talk about is a free thing called Groundswell. Matthias Shack Arnott has built this six metre wide disc with 100,000 ball bearings in it. And you walk on it and it rolls and tilts around and makes this thunderous sound. And the idea that the more you collaborate together, the better the music can be, the better the percussion can be on that installation at Customs House. And if anything, that's a metaphor for what we need to do now as we come out of COVID, is to think, how are we going to work together collectively to not just solve the economic and the social issues that COVID brought up, but actually, how do we solve climate change? How do we solve or walk towards looking at the inequalities in our community for First Nations people and others and economic opportunities as well? How do we work together for that? So if anything, art has always been that metaphor. Now, this is also your final festival, and we have to remember that you're a Kwandamooka man from Stradbroke Island and a Queenslander because you feel so much a part of the New South Wales scene doing, you know, the uh, curation of one of the key cultural events. What have you enjoyed most about your time in Sydney? Oh, I think that it's, Sydney is great. It really embraces newness. It says, this is something that's new, I'd better get in there and have a look at it. Not just to consume it, but also the idea of understanding new voices or new perspectives. And what I've loved is that it's given an opportunity for a First Nations man, me, to be at the helm of one of the largest arts festivals in the country. And have also then, Sydney has embraced our First Nations programming like anything else. When I first started, people were going, oh, you know, First Nations programming can be hard to sell. And just if our last festival is anything to go by, you know, all the First Nations work all sold out. Every single thing sold out. 
and you know we're talking big numbers too and this idea of saying actually if you can see it you can be it if you can hear it you can say it there's a sense of creating this vocabulary for change that the arts have really been part of and and me being here at Sydney Festival and watching Sydney embrace the ideas like the vigil or black ties or some of our larger First Nations work and just going yep okay I think we've made a bit of a difference here. I was going to ask you what you hope your legacy has been during your time at the festival and what you're most proud of. I guess you've touched on that, but what do you feel has been the most profound impact you've had on the festival during your time there? I think that the vigil, I'd like just to pick that one out for a quick second, because this conversation about Australia Day, the 26th of January, and it's a day of, of extremes in terms of protest and mindless celebration that those two things kind of seem to be arguing and the idea of going actually what's the way forward change the date don't change the date whatever or how do we work to be more constructive and go forward and that as artists it's our job to prototype the vocabulary to imagine what the preferred future is and create a pathway to it and if anything I've been really promoting that idea and watching lots of other artists take up that mantle has been fantastic. Lots more artistic leaders saying, okay, I can see that this is important. And not that I'm the only one doing it, but there's a real sense that I'm part of a movement to say artists are central to the way society sees itself. And that if we can put a First Nations story into everyone's mind and heart, then we will get real change. Just going back to that point that you've just made about the centrality of artists in our community, obviously the performing arts sector, as we mentioned earlier in our conversation, profoundly hit by COVID. Mm. What do you see as the way in which that sector can be assisted in a recovery? Well, I mean, look, we were the first to shut down and I think we'll be the last to really open up properly around the country in terms of indoor work and in terms of theatres and galleries and the like. I think that the real sense, too, of the idea of local has become even more prevalent during COVID and so that this idea of a centralised arts body or a gallery or a company, you start to go, well, what's its role to tour out, to be connected to more communities or, or and to also have local manifestations of arts and culture through art centres, etc. So for me, I think that there's a greater need for more diverse voices, not just big centralised bodies, and also the idea of sharing the work, not just about creating disposable art, things that you go, oh, well, it does one season and then no one else sees it, but actually try to create more of an investment in sharing the work across the country or across the world more. So I think there's not just making new art, but actually making sure it connects with more people. We need more investment in those structures. And as we know, art is one of those really valuable commodities in terms of people's lives and fulfilling people's lives. If you invest in art you see all these kind of economic multipliers that come from that, that people engage in different ways in society, that you're less likely to be left behind if you're engaged in the cultural work. I'm thinking about young people in particular, you know, making sure that they're connected to family and community, that they're not incarcerated or get into destructive modes of behaviour on themselves or the community. And arts and culture is one of those things, I don't know why we're still having this argument, but... We need to say to both 
well, local, state and federal government, all tiers, make sure that your arts and cultural policies and strategies are in place and invest in them because that's how you build stronger communities, healthier communities. And if we keep talking about closing the gap, it's not just about these symptoms. Go for the heart of the disease. Make sure that communities are strong and make sure they've got arts and culture at the heart of it. So for me, a, a big COVID response is to say fund the arts and cultural industries, communities, practices, because that's how we'll get our way out of this. I was going to ask you that because it does twist the question around and the assumptions about how the arts can actually assist in our post-COVID recovery. Yeah, and often people see the arts as a, well, um, many policymakers see it as a drag on the economy, when in fact it's one of those glues that keeps things going it's not just about extraction. We think about the extraction industries as a big, important international um, force economically. But in fact, if we think about extraction, about ideas, if we think about mining the conceptual and you know, intellectual frames of society, in fact, you've got more economic multipliers and a greater sense of what's possible. Whereas when you pull something out of the ground and send it overseas, it's one-off. Where if you take an idea and grow it and nurture it, you can actually create layers and layers of economic impact of that and also then build a very, very strong community. And if anything, COVID has taught us this. We do need to come together more, not as a single individual, but in fact as communities because that's what keeps us strong. When we work together, we can, as I think Touchwood we're doing, eradicating the virus internally in terms of community transmission in the country. When we work together, we are stronger as a society, as a country, and the arts help glue us all together. You're finishing your tenure at Sydney Festival, which is a non-Indigenous festival, but you've certainly brought an Indigenous lens and perspective to it. Before that, you were at the Queensland Theatre Company and similarly a non-Indigenous company, but you profoundly shaped it with an Indigenous lens and Indigenous perspective. As you come to the end of this period of your career, and you're obviously going to start a new one, what's on your mind and what are you looking at doing next? I also turned 50 in this job, which is, I'm now 51, and there's been this sense of, okay, I've spent 10 years running large non-Indigenous organisations, and as you say, bringing my DNA to these roles, and I've developed networks and skills and perspectives that I now think I need to bring back to the Indigenous art sector. So my big thing is going, take a couple of years of just taking some time out and then going, what do I need to do as a kind of legacy thing, a legacy opportunity or offering to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander arts community? How can I help promote that more? Not as a kind of altruism, but just as a sense of obligation as I come into this next phase of my career. So you know, one of the things I'm doing is going back home to Minjitaba, to Kwandamuka country, and we're looking at setting up an art centre there with the families and building some more um, social enterprise to replace the sand mining that's now finished there. We're also, I'm, I'm talking about young people a lot more going, how do I work maybe in the university sector as well to help support young Indigenous folk into higher education, into kind of cultural thinking at all the different layers and getting the skills that a university can offer you without giving up your community sense of obligation and, and skills as well. So 
I don't know. I'm in a bit of transition at the moment, Luke. So I'm kind of thinking, what do I want to do? And I just know I need to take the time out and focus on what is the next big thing that needs to happen. Well, we'll be watching this space. And when that next big thing emerges, we will have you back on to talk about <laughs> the next adventure that you're undertaking. But finally tonight, how can people find out more about Sydney Festival 2021 and get involved? Well, Sydney Festival, as you know, it best to get online and check out everything uh, sydneyfestival.org.au sydneyfestival.org.au and there's a huge program and there's lots of different ways of navigating it but go through check out all the things you might want to see from our live music program through to our indigenous programs and just make a little list and go in then and buy all the tickets online that you need to do and even some of our free events you need to register because of COVID safety you need to register and we'll then send you all the right codes and things you need to do to attend some of our free offerings as well. Wesley, thank you so much for being on the show, sharing your reflections, giving us a taste of what's to come in January 2021 at the festival and alerting us to the fact that there'll be a new chapter in the Wesley Enoch book (laughs) very soon. Thanks, Larissa, and love and respect to you. Thanks, Wesley. Wesley Enoch is the Artistic Director of the Sydney Festival.